All right, good morning, Midtown. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Wow, that sounded really loud. That really quieted you all down fast. Happy first day of the NFL for those that are fans like me, representing the Cowboys here. I hope you all have wonderful first week of fantasy football, unless your name's Amanda Larson. Then I hope your team is really poor, just for no particular reason. Hey, I'm the new guy on the job. My name's Justin Christopher. I know I don't know everybody yet, but I look forward to getting to know everyone. I've um, been on the job here about two, week, or two months, and I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. So I'm thankful. But I have discovered one thing that I don't like about the job, if I'm going to be really honest. There's one thing I don't like, and that I just discovered that when you're teaching on a Sunday, that means there's no screaming and yelling at football on Saturdays. And so I was at the game yesterday, but I made a vow not to scream and yell, so I wasn't part of the home field advantage. Uh, when I was at the Notre Dame game a week ago, I was, had a bad voice for like three or four days afterwards. So that's pretty good if that's the only negative part of the job, right? I'll take it. I can handle it. Uh, we're going to continue our series in First Thessalonians. We just started it uh, last week. Jake did a good job actually taking us back to the book of Acts, where we see when Paul first went to Thessalonica. And so this week, we're actually going to go into chapter one of the book. Um, and I've actually titled this talk, um, Signs of Life. Let me give just kind of an illustration to help you think. What if you were walking in this morning and you saw someone out on one of the benches out on Guadalupe, just kind of laying there, almost looking like they were dead? What would you do? You'd probably kind of go up to them and try to figure out if they're alive, right? Maybe the first thing you do is you get in their face and say, hey, are you okay? Because you want them to respond. Like if they communicate, you're like, okay, this guy's alive. But what if they don't respond? Maybe you, if you got the courage, you might nudge them a little bit, right? Because maybe if they move, that's a sign of life. But what if they don't do that? Maybe you get in real close and try to look at their chest or get close enough to hear their breath because breath is a sign of life. And finally, you might actually just check their pulse and see if their heart's beating because that's the ultimate sign of life, right? There's things that we can do physically to look at people and decide whether they're alive or dead. I want to invite us today just to spend some time thinking about this spiritually, though. What would be similar signs of life that if someone were figuratively speaking, looking at you on a park bench or even walking into Midtown Church as if it were on a park bench, what could we do to say, is this church alive? Am I alive spiritually? I believe there's one that's working among them, but how do we know? How is it evidenced? I think Paul actually invites us to this challenge. In one of his verses in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, he actually says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test, and I trust that you'll discover that you've not failed the test. He invites us to, you could kind of figuratively say, check our vital signs spiritually to look at ourselves and say, I'm going to test myself. Is there spiritual life being produced within me? But not just individually as a church, there's that same reason for us to do this. Listen to what's said to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3. Jesus is speaking to John about the churches, and about the church of Sardis, he says this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. So it's possible for us individually to be spiritually dead, but it's also possible for a church to be spiritually dead. Well, what would we expect to see in a church that's alive? What would we be, expect to see in a person who's spiritually alive? 
Before I read the whole scripture, it starts off this way in 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He's chosen you because... So we know that there's spiritual life in you as a church because... And so today we're going to look at the becauses. I want to give you three signs of life that would mean that you're alive spiritually and we as a church are alive spiritually. Let me read the whole passage and pray, and then we'll talk about these three signs. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out, not only, or rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not say anything about it, for they themselves what kind, report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. We do ask that today you would speak to us and that each of us could examine our own hearts and even collectively we're, we're a church united together. Let us examine heaven us, church life. And ultimately, God, we ask that you would be alive in us, individually and corporately, that all these signs of life would be evident in us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. The first sign of life is responding to God's word. A sign that you're alive spiritually is that you're responding to God's word with conviction and with joy. Listen to what it says about the Thessalonians. It says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you because the gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Responsiveness to the word of the God is proof that we're alive. If we're responding with conviction and joy, saying yes to God, hearing his voice, and it moving us in our hearts, that's a sign that we're alive spiritually. So when you're here on a Sunday morning and, and the word is being proclaimed up here, it's really what's happening in here. When you spend time with God personally and you're reading the Bible, is it just words on a page or is it power because you feel the presence of God and you know his conviction, his joy that comes upon you as you hear the word of God? That's a sign of life as a church, as an individual. This should be the way we're responding. I like also that it says that they welcome the message. And in their case, in spite of severe suffering, they welcome the message. Honestly, there's really just two ways to respond when we hear the word of God. We can welcome it. I want to hear it. I want to hear more. I want to examine my life through the lens of God's word, or you can resist it. And if you remember in the passage in Acts 17, when you first hear about this church, those were the two responses. There are people who responded in faith, and there were people who resisted and persecuted those. That's why Paul says they welcomed it even in the midst of suffering. And those are the two postures that we can have as we hear the word of God. But if we're alive spiritually, we're welcoming the word of God. In particular, he describes two ways that they respond, one with deep conviction and the other with joy. I love the combination of those two things. And in one case, when we're reading the word, there's a conviction that comes upon us, a conviction that tells us we're wrong. It says you are not living right. You are not believing right. What you think about God is not true. This is what's true. The way you're living is not what's best for you. God has this way for you. 
and we read the Word of God and we let it examine us and we respond with conviction, deep conviction, that's a sign of life. I know many times what we do is we've determined what we want to believe or we've determined how we want to live. And then what we want to do is we want to come to the Bible and try to build a framework that allows us to do what we want to do and believe what we want to believe. I call that reading the Bible. It's a different posture when you come to let the Bible read you. It's believing. You come open-handed. You welcome it. And you say, God, you tell me what's true. You tell me where I'm disbelieving. You tell me where I'm not behaving as I should, where I'm doing things that aren't in my best interest or the interest of others. And you're inviting God to come change your heart. That's letting the Bible read you. James describes it great in James chapter 1. He says, we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Those who just hear and don't do are like a guy who looks in the mirror and sees what he looks like and then goes away and automatically forgets what he looks like. What's the purpose of a mirror? A mirror is meant to show us where we're flawed. It's to show us where we need to grow. It's to show us where we have broken relationships. It's to show us where we need healing. It's to show us where we need God. And when we're alive spiritually, that's how we're reading the Bible. We're letting it read us and we're responding with conviction. But we're also responding with joy. I love what he says you responded with joy even in the midst of suffering. Because as you read scripture and you get this big picture of God and you see how patient and loving, how kind, how faithful, how merciful, how gracious he is, we receive it with joy because it's just so amazing. When we think of the gospel that there would be a God who would create us and know us from all eternity, even all the wicked parts of us, yet would pursue us, would send his son to die for us, raise him up again and offer us eternal life. We should be moved by that grace to receive it with joy, just like they did in Thessalonica. That was their posture. Just this week, Brad was relaying a story to us of someone who a couple years ago put his faith in Christ here at the church. And during that process of sharing the gospel, he told about this, this guy that just came to him and said, Brad, I can't believe this gospel. It's just scandalous. God's grace is so awesome. He was filled with joy because God was speaking to him. It was a sign of spiritual life. So let me ask, how are you doing? Check your vitals. How are you responding to the word of God? This kind of presumes something, doesn't it? It kind of presumes that we're in the word of God. How can you respond to the word of God as a sign of life unless you're in the word of God? Where the normal Christian life would be one where we're constantly pursuing this sign in us, God. If this is a sign of life, there's a means by which we can produce this sign in us, and that's simply the Word of God. We have to spend time with God if we want to learn to respond to God's Word. And so I encourage you with all my heart and not in a way to put any guilt or shame on anyone, develop some habits this year. Develop some habits this semester where you're going to spend time with God privately to let His Word read you so you can respond and grow and have spiritual life. To not just do so personally, but to gather in small groups of, with others. Examine God's word together that you can grow together. And come worship here on Sundays and hear the gospel and the word proclaimed up front. We have to be in the word if we want to grow, to be responsive to the word. That's the first sign of life. There's a second sign of life. The second sign of life is growing in Christ-likeness. This should be normal Christianity. We should be growing in Christ-likeness. Listen to what it says about the Thessalonians. He says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I love that. They became imitators. 
These people's lives are changing. Their lifestyle is changing. They're saying no to idols. They're saying yes to God, progressively, progressively changing, and their lives are not the same. This is a sign of life. Have you changed? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? Can you look at areas of your life where a year from now or a year ago, you're very different because you've come to God again and again and you've seen him start to transform the way that you relate to each other, the way you treat your roommates, the way you honor your wife or your husband. This should be happening as a sign of life in us. I know for me, I came to Christ when I was 14, uh, June of uh, the year between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. And I mean, I radically saw some changes in my life. I was a type of guy who was always pursuing other people and trying to find my approval in other people. I kind of got caught up in this wrong crowd, was doing everything I could to try to please them. If anything, I was becoming an imitator of them and moving further and further from my true self and what I knew in my heart God had put on my heart about who I should be. Yet when I came to faith in Christ, some things instantly started changing. My love for my family, my love for my brother, the way that I treated other people, the way I stopped caring about what other people thought. When I came back to school my sophomore year, I was a completely different person. So much that everyone started asking questions and wondering what God had done in my life. It was just a sign of life. When we're transformed, it's real simple. The fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those should be growing more. And I love the way that it describes this for specifically these Thessalonians. How it says that the way that this was demonstrated was they turned to God from idols. There were things that they were pursuing that they said no to, but it wasn't just saying no to something. It's saying yes to someone. And this is true repentance. This is a biblical word, repentance. When Jesus was going out teaching, the book of Mark says that he went around from town to town, and his main message was repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. If you read the book of Acts, as the church begins to grow from place to place to place, their primary message, when they get to share the gospel, the last part is repent and believe or repent and be baptized. This is a normal Christian life that we would repent of idolatry and turn from things, but to, to, turn to someone. Sometimes I find in, in accountability groups or some of our gatherings where we mean well and we want to help each other grow in the Lord, we do what I call like a little navel-gazing. Where we're, we're so focused on the idol and we're, we're trying to help each other. And that's good. We should be doing that. I'm glad that that's happening. But as much as we're trying to help each other turn from idols, we've also got to point each other to someone. Point each other to God. He's the one that can change our heart. In one way, we're kind of re-evangelizing each other, reminding each other of God's goodness, His grace, and reminding them of the gospel. That's what starts to change our hearts. And repentance isn't just something that we do the day that we believe and put our faith in Christ. Repentance is a lifestyle that we're constantly coming before our brothers and sisters, confessing our sin, asking for help, identifying areas we want to grow. I love in the context of my missional community to, to talk to people and say, hey, what is one area that you want to grow in this coming year? And helping each other foster that growth. And we should see change from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. That's the normal Christian life. I love the way that it's described in First Peter or 2 Peter, rather, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness, through these He's given us a very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, becoming more Christ-like, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, 
to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to your perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you, keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. I love this passage in particular because it, it promises that we can participate in the divine nature, that we can actually patient with to be more and more like Christ. It should be happening. And I love that it also makes the qualification with increased measure. We all come from different places. We're all growing and we all have different struggles at all different places. The point is we should be growing with increasing measure. And as we go through the book of Thessalonians, one of the things you'll love, Paul will compliment them time and time again of the way they are growing. But he'll always add a tagline, but do so more and more. Keep growing, keep going. This is what a sign of life would be. So I ask you, are you growing in Christ-likeness? Can you point to areas of your life where you're not the same as you were last year? You've submitted your life to God in a new way. There's a particular idol that you know you've turned away from and you've chosen God because he's better. That should be normal Christian life because God is better. Now, how do you do that, though? <laughs> this is important because the means by which we do this is not on our own strength. The means by which we do this is on the Spirit's power. Twice in this passage, it says with deep conviction of the Holy Spirit, the joy that was given them of the Holy Spirit. We can't leave here today and try to muster up enough strength to produce this spiritual growth within us. We can't become Christ-like on our own. All we can do is remain faithful to God or remain in Him and let Him produce the work within us. A group of us in, the, in, in here are actually memorizing some passages right now in, in uh, John 15. Some of Jesus' last words to His disciples on the night that He was betrayed. And one of the things He tells them is He says, I am a vine and you guys are the branches. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. He says, I will produce fruit within you, but apart from me you can do nothing. A great illustration for us to say we can't do this on our own but if we remain close to Christ he can produce this fruit within us he's the one that does it Paul used a similar illustration he called it walking in the spirit that there's a way that we can actually he says keep in step in the spirit in, in Galatians 15 so we can actually walk with God hearing from the spirit maturing coming to God daily submitting our lives to him and as we do that produces the spiritual fruit within us we can't do this on the own on our own the means by which we do this it's through the Holy Spirit. There's a third thing that is a sign of life. And that sign of life is influencing others to follow Christ. We know that we're spiritually alive when we're modeling and sharing the gospel to others. We know that we're spiritually alive when we're multiplying our lives and others are beginning to follow. Paul said the Thessalonian church started to model him as he modeled Christ, and then it says, you guys became a model to everyone else. It's so powerful. He says, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only from Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has that beautiful everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. Isn't that beautiful? so beautiful to think about that, that they became a model to all the others and all the other churches and everywhere. And like Jake even described, you could actually point to this church, which was one of the first to get the gospel into Europe, which ultimately would say, got the gospel to the United States. In a very real way, we are a product of what God was doing in the Thessalonian church, because that's multiplication. That should be expected, this kind of modeling where we're walking with others. And now we're saying, as I'm maturing, 
come along beside me. I want you to grow in Christ and follow Christ as I'm following Christ. Looking to Him but calling others to model you. That's a bold, bold thing to say, isn't it? But Paul would say that all the time. Follow me as I follow Christ. He wanted generations of believers that were following each other and growing their faith. And I love how it says that it rang out. It's like a UT tower just ringing out its bells. The whole campus can hear it. It's like a big rock in the middle of a pond that the ripples go out. That there's a message that's meant to ring out from us as we model our faith to others. This is normal Christian life. If we're a spiritually alive church, this should be happening in our midst. This is why we've got these things before you to talk to you about midtown communities. Probably you're going to hear this language a lot in, in the coming years because we, we say that we want to be a gospel-saturated uh, sending church, that we want to be firmly established as a sending church. And so this is going to be common language that we start to say, this is what we want to become. And really, you could look at one of my favorite verses that talk about this, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Timothy, talking to one of his, his best disciples, he says, Then you, my son, be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I know many of you have heard this before, but how many generations do you see there? It's four generations. Paul's saying, what you hear from me, Timothy, trust to reliable men who can also teach others. This is normal Christianity. This is a sign of life that we would be reproducing our lives to others who then would reproduce their lives to others who then would reproduce their lives to others. We talk about being a sending church. We know many of you students are going to be with us for a short time. We want you to grow, to follow Christ so that you can begin to model it to others. And wherever God sends you, we can go. You go with confidence. You're going to continue to be a model wherever God sends you. This is why we're using this terminology about making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. If you want to look at it like three buckets, there's a making bucket, there's a maturing bucket, and a multiplying bucket. We talk about making disciples. We're talking about going to places where no one's following Christ and making them make disciples. This is the Great Commission. Jesus said, I'm sending you guys out to all these places to make disciples by teaching people to obey. That's why I'm thrilled to, to think about the, the Sanyuts and the Hills that have moved into an apartment complex for the purpose of making that apartment complex the people they're going to love and serve this next year, that are praying together and thinking together and strategizing together and thinking, how can we get connected and love and serve this complex? May God give us favor to demonstrate and declare the gospel among this people group of the Heritage Apartments. Or I heard this last week of uh, some students named Anna and John who are part of the architecture school at UT and have joined with other Christians there in the architecture for the purpose of starting a mission field right there in the architecture school. They said, look, these are the people that I spend all my life with here in the architecture school. Let's get with the other body of Christ. Let's make this our people group. Let's make disciples among those who aren't yet following Jesus. We said as a church that our goal within five years is we want to be making disciples and reaching 200 people groups in Central Austin and 200 people groups outside of Central Austin. That's amazing. But what if we could raise up that kind of people who are making disciples among those who aren't yet following. If you take the maturing bucket, we've got a, a maturing bucket where we're saying we want to help people grow up into Christ. And our primary environments for that are our midtown communities and our huddles. You've got on your chairs a little information about all 10 of our midtown communities. We've got faithful people who love and shepherd in smaller groups that care for each other, 
that pour into each other's lives, that actually help each other respond to the Word of God, that help each other grow in Christ-likeness, that help each other influence others for the gospel. That's the purpose by which these exist. In these communities, you'll find the people that will help you with that. And then we have huddles, which are kind of smaller groups, generally same gender groups that are smaller, meeting for very similar purposes, but maybe a little bit more intentionality in the scriptures that they study and the conversations and the type of confession and repenting that can happen in a smaller group compared to a larger group and a, a same gender group compared to a, multi, or a, a double gender group. This is what we're wanting to produce in these discipleship environments, maturing disciples so that we can ultimately multiply disciples meaning that we can take people from this maturing stage so that they get to like the Thessalonians where they're modeling it to other people. That we've got people multiplying by leading other MCs, by leading other huddles, and by going off to reach different people, people groups. That they start making and they start maturing. That's what we want to see happen. And that's a true sign of spiritual life. Like if multiplication isn't happening, we can't be, say that we're a church that's alive. It's a sign of life. It's a normal Christian life. So when the huddle that I led for this last year and, and Tori and Barry break off and start leading their own huddles, we celebrate that. That's a sign of life. When Leanne and, um, and Karen break off of their huddle with Krista and they go start another group uh, for women in particular on life after college, that's a multiplication. We celebrate that. This is the normal Christian life. This is a sign of life in our church. So I'll ask you, like I have with each one, how are you doing? Do you see that in your life? Do you see this multiplication happening in your life and the life of the church? Are you beginning to model to others? Have you entered a people group and started to, to care for them and model the gospel to them where you live or work or play or study? This is what we should be doing. But it happens again. You have to ask the question, by what means? How do we do that? And just like it kind of presumed that you're reading the word if you're responding to it, this kind of presumes you've got people in your life, right? How do, you, how do you model something to someone when you don't have them in your life? How do you grow as a disciple by, model, by following someone else's example unless you're intricately involved in their lives? The means by which we begin to model is the people of God. We need the people of God if we're going to start modeling this to the rest of the world and modeling it to each other. And so I make this appeal as strongly as I can, get involved in a Midtown community. Get involved in a huddle. College students, go to Midtown on campus. Get involved in the MCs and the huddles that are part of the college ministry. This is part of normal Christian life, that we put ourselves into community, that we can grow together. It's a sign of life. So there's three signs of life. Are you responding to the Word of God? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? Are you influencing others to follow Christ? How do we do it? There's three means. There's the Word of God. There's the Spirit of God. And there's the people of God. May God grace us this morning with an honest examination of our personal lives. And even us as a church to say, is there signs of life in us individually and corporately? I wanted to end in a little bit unique way uh, this morning invite someone up to come share their testimony because I think one of the more powerful ways we can, we can look back on Thessalonica and say, wow, this is amazing what God did in this place. Signs of life just like this that they can point to their response to the word of God. They can point to their growing in Christ likeness. They can point to the way they've multiplied to others.
understand. So let's welcome Jenny to share her story. Hello. Uh, I'm pretty nervous, so bear with me. Um, so I'm Jenny. Most of y'all know me as the Connections Director. I work here at Midtown. Uh, but if you had known me 11 years ago, you'd be pretty shocked that I'm here. I wasn't related, like raised in a religious household. Uh, my father was Catholic. My mother wasn't religious at all. But they had agreed to, to raise our family in the Catholic Church. Uh, for years, I asked tons of questions about faith and life after uh, of this one. And I really didn't get any satisfying answers. And so I finally just gave up and decided that the religious course was wrong. Uh, fast forward to early high school. I didn't have a lot of friends, and I was pretty much considered an outsider uh, with, with people at school and in my own family. Uh, I finally thought my sophomore year that I had made a friend, uh, but what turned out uh, wasn't a friendship. It turned into a very intense, codependent relationship. She had extreme influence over my life, encouraging me to engage in self-harm, bringing me into a culture of drugs, and alcohol, um, and introducing me to things like witchcraft and suicidal thoughts. After years of mental and verbal, physical and uh, spiritual abuse, including active threats on my life, a bystander took notice and got the police involved. Um, after she was taken away to rehab in a psychiatric center, um, I continued to have extreme depression, continued with the self-harm, and contemplated suicide on a daily basis. Coming from a Catholic like background, the only thing that really stayed my hand was the idea that committing suicide was a sin and I would go straight to hell. Uh, I was trapped. Either path, life or death, really seemed like endless torture. Finally, my senior year of school, uh, a friend invited me to join his youth group. Having no idea what a youth group was, I agreed. Um, it turns out it was a church group. <laughs> Talk about a fish out of water. Uh, I sat in the back and listened, and the first thing that I noticed was how much joy these people had for something so simple. I started listening to what the pastor said, and as he spoke of Jesus, his story of death and of torture, and how that was necessary in order to give life to others, something happened. I was literally blown away, and I knew this is what I had been searching for for a long time. Afterwards, I approached the pastor and asked him if he would sit with me and answer my questions. He did with patience and grace. And that night he prayed with me and I felt my heart transform for the first time. I felt the, how, the power of the Holy Spirit on my life immediately and I was freed from the chains of depression and suicide from that very first day. I became kind when I used to be very angry. I became uh, a listener where I used to just yell. There were just so many different things that changed so quickly um, that people started taking notice. So I finally asked the pastor, what, what do I do now? What's the next step? because I honestly had no idea. I had never been a part of anything like this. And he gave me the best answer. And he said, share your story and tell people what Jesus has done. And I said, well, of course. That's exactly what happened to me. That makes the most sense. Um, so no one told me who to start talking to, and so I just started talking to literally any person I ran into. Um, <laughs> uh, two of those people happened to be my brother and sister. Within a month, both of them had come to know Jesus, not only through the words that I was sharing about him, but also through the drastic changes that had happened in my life. I could share a lot of stories about people that I had spent time with over the last 11 years who have now have professed Jesus and have changed, but I do have a personal favorite. Uh, within a month of coming to faith, I finally got up the courage to share the gospel with my parents. 
I was met with blank stares and questioning eyes, but in the end, they allowed me to pursue my own religious path, but I had to stop quoting scripture in the house and reading the Bible or trying to talk about the gospel at all. That was the deal. <laughs> so uh, I tried my best to honor their wishes, but as often as possible, I was still asking the hard questions. Um, about six months later, I moved to Austin to go to UT. Once I got here, I approached uh, one of the, the interns that was at Hill Country UT. His name is Brad Laws. If he would teach me how to pray, uh, I had no... I had no concept of what prayer was, and I had no idea how to do it, but I knew I really wanted to start praying for my parents. So a group of us started praying for them daily. Back in Dallas, my parents started going to a church called Watermark because my brother and sister had been going, and they were curious about the change in everybody's life. This opened up a lot of great conversations, but I kept getting the same responses from them. We're already pretty good people. We're happy as we are, and we're too old to change our minds about such things. I knew I couldn't convince them, that Jesus was the best thing for them. So instead, for the next 10 years, I continued to pray for them on a daily basis. Last year, I got a phone call. It was from my sister, and she said, do you know that mom and dad are being baptized this weekend? I had no idea, but I drove to Dallas quickly, and once I got there, I heard my father start speaking. He spoke of our family, of his journey, and most of all, the love and grace of Jesus and how it had impacted his heart over the last 10 years. 20 minutes later, I got the extreme blessing and pleasure to be able to baptize my mother and my father and my brother, all in the name of Jesus. There's so many other things that I could share about, but one thing I do want to say is God can do anything, and no one is too old or too broken or too lost to really feel the love of Jesus. story to lead us into worship. I think there's no better way to be reminded of the gospel and the way the gospel moves us and works through us. I want to say pastorally that, that I do believe that God is very much alive in this church. All these signs are happening in our midst, individually, corporately, and so praise be to God for that. We're going to invite our ushers to come forward and we're going to receive the offering as part of our worship at Midtown, we love to give of our resources so that we can do the things that God has called us to do and continue to reach people in this city with the gospel. As they uh, distribute those, I'll also make a few announcements about how we're going to end our service. You guys can go ahead and get started. The worship team can come forward. I think a wonderful way to end the service would be like we do normally with our communion. And I'd encourage you as you think about it this time to think about the life of Christ that's in this bread, that's in this juice, as he told his disciples that if they would take it, they would remember him. These same disciples were the ones who started the church that led all the way down through the years to us following Jesus as well. So as you take communion, remember the life that's in Christ and take it and prayerfully ask God to produce that life in you, these signs of life, to give you a hunger for his word to give you increased Christ-likeness, and to use you to influence other people. It's only by his power and his life in you that this can happen. So take it with that in mind. Uh, logistically, you can form two lines that go back to the back and two lines that come to the front and peel off along the sides. That's the easiest way for us. 
And you can come up any time during this next session that we have uh, singing three songs together. So anytime you feel led, you can come receive the communion. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the wonderful testimony that we heard, both from Jenny as well as from Thessalonians. Thanks that you're a God that is alive and active. And we do ask, God, that you would produce life in us, even this morning as we worship. Speak to our hearts. and As we take communion, speak to our hearts. Make us more alive today, even as we worship. In Jesus' name. Yeah.